You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and share your own thoughts and insights with others who are reading, listening, and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 238, and we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 12, Paragraphs 503 to 511. 503. I understood, therefore, that in this prayer Christ besought his Father to let this chalice of dying for the reprobate pass from him. Since now his death was not to be evaded, he asked that none, if possible, should be lost. He pleaded that as his redemption would be superabundant for all, that therefore it should be applied to all in such a way as to make all, if possible, profit by it in an efficacious manner. And if this was not possible, he would resign himself to the will of his eternal Father. Our Savior repeated this prayer three times at different intervals. Matthew 26.44 Pleading the longer in his agony in the view of the importance and immensity of the object in question. Luke 22.43 According to our way of understanding, there was a contention or altercation between the most sacred humanity and the divinity of Christ. For this humanity and its intense love for men, who are of his own nature, desired that all should attain eternal salvation through his passion, while his divinity in its secret and high judgments had fixed the number of the predestined, and in its divine equity could not concede its blessings to those who so much despised them, and who of their own free will made themselves unworthy of eternal life, by repelling the kind intentions of him who procured and offered it to them. From this conflict arose the agony of Christ, in which he prayed so long, and in which he appealed so earnestly to the power and the majesty of his omnipotent and eternal Father. 504. This agony of Christ our Savior grew in proportion to the greatness of his charity and the certainty of his knowledge, that men would persist in neglecting to profit by his passion and death. Luke 22.44 His agony increased to such an extent that great drops of bloody sweat were pressed from him, which flowed to the very earth. Although this prayer was uttered subject to a condition and failed in regard to the reprobate who fell under this condition, yet he gained thereby a greater abundance and secured a greater frequency of favors for mortals. Through it, the blessings were multiplied for those who placed no obstacles. The fruit of the redemption were applied to the saints and to the just more abundantly, and many gifts and graces of which the reprobate made themselves unworthy were diverted to the elect. 
The human will of Christ, conforming itself to that of the divinity then, accepted suffering for each respectively, for the reprobate, as sufficient to procure them the necessary help if they would make use of its merits, and for the predestined as an efficacious means of which they would avail themselves to secure their salvation by cooperating with grace. Thus was set in order, and as it were realized, the salvation of the mystical body of his holy church, of which Christ the Lord was the creator and head. 505. As a ratification of this divine decree, while yet our master was in his agony, the Eternal Father, for the third time, sent the archangel Michael to the earth in order to comfort him by a sensible message and confirmation of what he already knew by the infused science of his most holy soul. For the angel could not tell our Lord anything he did not know, nor could he produce any additional effect on his interior consciousness for this purpose. But as I related above... Christ had suspended the consolation which he could have derived from his human nature, from this knowledge and love, leaving it to its full capacity of suffering, as he afterwards also expressed himself on the cross. In lieu of this alleviation and comfort which he had denied himself, he was recompensed to a certain extent, as far as his human senses were concerned, by this embassy of the archangel. He received an experimental knowledge of what he had before known by interior consciousness for the actual experience in something superadded and new and is calculated to move the sensible and bodily faculties. St. Michael, in the name of the Eternal Father, intimated and represented to him in audible words what he already knew, that it was not possible for those to be saved who were unwilling that the complacence of the Eternal Father in the number of the just, although smaller than the number of the reprobate, was great, that among the former was his most holy mother, a worthy fruit of his redemption, that his redemption would also bear its fruits in the patriarchs, prophets, apostles, martyrs, virgins, and confessors, who should signalize themselves in his love and perform admirable works for the exaltation of the name of the Most High. Among these, the angel moreover mentioned some of the founders of religious orders and the deeds of each one, Many other great and hidden sacraments were touched upon by the archangel, which it is not necessary to mention here, nor have I any command to do so, and therefore what I have already said will suffice for continuing the thread of this history. 506. During the intervals of Christ's prayer, the evangelists say he returned to visit the apostles and exhorted them to watch and pray, lest they enter into temptation. This the most vigilant pastor did in order to show the dignitaries of his church what care and supervision they were to exercise over their flocks. For if Christ, on account of his solicitude for them, interrupted his prayer, which was so important, it was in order to teach them how they must postpone other enterprises and interests to the salvation of their subjects. In order to understand the need of the apostles, I must mention that the infernal dragon, after having been routed from the cenacle and forced into the infernal caverns, was permitted by the Savior again to come forth, in order that he might, by his malicious attempts, help to fulfill the decrees of the Lord. At one fell swoop, many of these demons rushed to meet Judas, and in the manner already described, to hinder him, if possible, from consummating the treacherous bargain." As they could not dissuade him, they turned their attention to the other apostles, suspecting that they had received some great favor at the hands of the Lord in the Cenacle. What this favor was, Lucifer sought to find out, in order to counteract it. Our Savior saw this cruelty and wrath of the Prince of Darkness and his ministers, 
Therefore, as a most loving father and vigilant superior, he hastened to the assistance of his little children and newly acquired subjects, his apostles. He roused them and exhorted them to watch and pray against their enemies, in order that they might not enter unaware and unprovided into the threatening temptation. 507. He returned, therefore, to the three apostles, who, having been more favored, also have more reasons for watchfulness and imitation of their master. But he found them asleep, for they had allowed themselves to be overcome by insidious disgust and sorrow, and in it had been seized by such a remissness and lukewarmness that they fell asleep before speaking to them or waking them. The Lord looked at them for a moment and wept over them, for he saw them oppressed and buried in this deathly shade of their own sloth and negligence. He spoke to Peter and said to him, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? And immediately he gave him the others the answer, Watch ye and pray, that you enter not into temptation. Mark 14.37 For my enemies and your enemies sleep not as you do. That he reprehended Peter especially and was not only because he was placed as head of the rest, and not only because he had most loudly protested that he would not deny him and was ready to die for him, though all the others should be scandalized in him and leave him, but also because Peter, having from his whole heart made freely these protests, deserved to be corrected and admonished before all the rest. For no doubt the Lord chastises those whom he loves, and is always pleased by our good resolutions even when we afterwards fall short in their execution, as happened with the most fervent of all the apostles, St. Peter. When the Lord came the third time and woke up all the twelve, Judas was already approaching, in order to deliver him into the hands of his enemies, as I shall relate in the next chapter. 508. Let us now return to the Cenacle, where the Queen of Heaven had retired with the holy women of her company. From her retreat by divine enlightenment, she saw most clearly all the mysteries and doings of her most holy son in the garden. At the moment when the Savior separated himself with the three apostles, Peter, John, and James, the heavenly queen separated herself from the other women and went into another room. Upon leaving them, she exhorted them to pray and watch, lest they enter into temptations. But she took with her the three Marys, treating Mary Magdalene as the superior of the rest. Secluding herself with these three as her most intimate companions, she begged the Eternal Father to suspend in her all human alleviation and comfort, both in the sensitive and in the spiritual part of her being, so that nothing might hinder her from suffering to the highest degree in union with her divine Son. She prayed that she might be permitted to feel and participate in her virginal body all the pains of the wounds and tortures about to be undergone by Jesus. This petition was granted by the Blessed Trinity, and the Mother, in consequence, suffered all the torments of her Most Holy Son in exact duplication, as I shall relate later. Although they were such that if the right hand of the Almighty had not preserved her, they would have caused her death many times over. Yet, on the other hand, these sufferings inflicted by God himself were like a pledge and a new lease on life. For in her most ardent love, she would have considered it incomparably more painful to see her divine son suffer and die without being allowed to share in his torments. 509. The three Marys were instructed by the queen to accompany and assist her in her affliction, and for this purpose they were endowed with greater light and grace than the other women. In retiring with them, the most pure mother began to feel unwanted sorrow and anguish, and she said to them, My soul is sorrowful because my beloved son is about to suffer and die, and has not permitted me to suffer and die of his torments. 
Pray, my friends, in order that you may not be overcome by temptation. Having said this, she went apart a short distance from them, and following the Lord in his supplications, she, as far as was possible to her, and as far as she knew it to be conformable to the human will of her son, continued her prayers and petitions, feeling the same agony as that of the Savior in the garden. She also returned at the same intervals to her companions to exhort them, because she knew of the wrath of the demon against them. She wept at the perdition of the foreknown, for she was highly enlightened in the mysteries of eternal predestination and reprobation. In order to imitate and cooperate in all things with the Redeemer of the world, the great lady also suffered a bloody sweat, similar to that of Jesus in the garden, and by divine intervention she was visited by the archangel St. Gabriel, as Christ, her son, was visited by the archangel Michael. The holy prince expounded to her the will of the Most High in the same manner as St. Michael had expounded it to Christ, the Lord. In both of them the prayer offered, and the cause of sorrow was the same, and therefore they were all so proportionately alike to one another in their actions and in their knowledge. I was made to understand that the most prudent lady was provided with some cloths, for what was to happen in the passion of her most beloved son. And on this occasion she sent some of her angels with a towel to the garden, in which her son was then perspiring blood, in order to wipe off and dry off his venerable countenance. The Lord, for love of his mother and for the greater mare, permitted these ministers of the Mosai to fulfill her pious and tender wishes. When the moment for the capture of our Savior had arrived, it was announced to the three Marys by the sorrowful mother. All three bewailed this indignity, and the most bitter tears, especially Mary Magdalene, who signalized herself in tenderest love and piety for her master. Instruction which Mary the Queen of Heaven gave me. 5.10 My daughter, all that thou hast understood and written in this chapter will serve as a most potent incentive to thee and to all the mortals who will consider it carefully. Estimate, then, and weigh within thy soul how important in the eternal predestination or reprobation of the souls, since my most holy Son looked out upon it with such great anxiety that the difficulty or impossibility of saving all men added such immense bitterness to the death, which he was about to suffer for all. By this conflict he manifests to us the importance and gravity of the matter under consideration." He prolonged his supplications and prayers to his eternal Father, and his love for men caused his most precious blood to ooze forth from his body, on perceiving that the malice of men would then make unworthy of participation in the benefits of his death. The Lord, my Son, has indeed justified his cause in thus having lavished his love and his merits without measure for the purchase of man's salvation. And likewise, the Eternal Father has justified himself in presenting to the world such a remedy and having made it possible for each one freely to reach out for such widely different lots as death and life, fire and water. 5.11 But what pretense or excuse will men advance for having forgotten their own eternal salvation when my Divine Son and I have desired and sought to procure it for them with such sacrifices and untiring watchfulness? None of the mortals will have any excuse for their foolish negligence, and much less will the children of the Holy Church have an excuse, since they have received the faith of these admirable sacraments, and yet shown their lives little difference from that of infidels and pagans. Do not think, my daughter, that it is written in vain. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 20.16 Fear this sentence, and renew in thy heart the care and zeal for thy salvation, conformable to the sense of obligation arising from the knowledge of such high mysteries. 
even if it were not a question of eternal salvation for thee, thou shouldst correspond to the loving kindness with which I manifest to thee such great and divine secrets. Then I shall call thee my daughter and a spouse of my Lord, should cause thee to pay no attention to any visible thing, and embrace only love and suffering for his sake. This I have shown thee by my example, since I applied all my faculties continually to these two things, with the highest perfection. In order that thou mayest attain this, I wish that thy prayer be without intermission, and that thou watch one hour with me, that is, during the whole of thy life, for compared with eternity life is less than one hour, yea, less than one moment. With such sentiments I wish that thou follow up the mysteries of the passion, writing them, feeling them, and imprinting them upon thy heart. This concludes our reading today for day number 238. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 12, Paragraphs 503 to 511. It's always interesting to me in these readings the role of the angels. Today we heard that God the Father sent St. Michael to console Jesus during his agony in the garden. We also heard that Our Lady sent her angel with a cloth to wipe the tears of Jesus that were blood, so that they may be captured in this cloth. Everything that Jesus does, he does so to set an example. And we heard that again today, that his prayer, the intervals of prayer, why? This the most vigilant pastor did in order to show the dignitaries of his church what care and supervision they were to exercise over their flocks. For if Christ, on account of his solicitude for them, interrupted his prayer, which was so important, it was in order to teach them how they must postpone other enterprises and interests to the salvation of their subjects. So the pattern of Jesus' prayer becomes a model then, becomes something that the apostles will be able to fall back on when they realize the power and the difficulties that they encounter in their own prayer. And then you have Our Lady who is joining Jesus. So she has this vision. She sees Jesus agonizing in the garden. So she unites. This is the unification of the two hearts of the Immaculate and the Sacred Heart. They're uniting in prayer. And Mary gives the same similar instruction to the other Marys that are present with her. Pray, my friends, in order that you may not be overcome by temptation. And what is that temptation in this moment? Well, in this precise moment of what is happening in our reading, that temptation is to deny Jesus. That temptation is for us to run away, for us to not believe, for doubt to enter in. These are the different temptations that are entering in. And so we are aware of these said temptations. And we'll notice at times when temptation enters our life. And we'll have to pray, do not be overcome by temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Don't let me fall into temptation. That strengthened by our prayer and the prayer of Our Lady, that that will come to fruition. And then finally, I just want to make reference to this very powerful line, I thought. One that I underlined as I was reading. For no doubt, the Lord chastises those whom he loves and is always pleased by our good resolutions, even when afterwards we fall short in their execution 
as happened with the most fervent of all the apostles, St. Peter. All of us have good resolutions. We go to confession and we say, I will sin no more. That's our good resolution. But then the Lord, even when we fail, he still is going to love us. And we run back to him. And we confess our sorrow, just as Peter will do with the denials that he made in the garden. He loves and is always pleased by our good resolutions. Make good resolutions for the spiritual life. Try to fulfill them, because they are pleasing to our God. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you. And Mary, pray for you.